the flood. I think this is possibly the longest passage I've ever had to preach on. So I promise you it won't take more than an hour. No, I'm joking. Um, Hopefully we'll be done within a usual time. Um, But when we have the story of Noah, um, those of us who grew up in church, it's a lovely story, isn't it, Noah? All the animals, two by two, getting on the boat, going for a lovely little sail for 40 days and 40 nights, and then coming out and and going back into the the earth. It's it's a lovely story, and there's a rainbow in it as well, which is is very pretty. Um, The truth is, if you've been listening now to, to what's being read just then. This isn't, this isn't a story that fills the heart with, with, with joy, certainly initially. It's actually a really hard thing to take. Because what happened to the world back then was a tragedy. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced what a flood is like in all its devastation. Well, we've got somebody in our congregation today who has, and I wanted just to ask her to come up and just tell us a little bit about what it was like. So, Janty, if you want to just come up very briefly and tell us a little bit about your experience. So, just for background, Janty was living in South India um, in 2004 on Boxing Day. Um, and you were in church, weren't you? Yeah. Can you just tell us what happened when you were in church on Boxing Day in that year? Sure. Um, it was the next day um, after Christmas and we finished our second hymn and there was a man coming in the middle of the church and said, if I say use Tamil, Veli Ponga, Veli Ponga, Tanni Ullavar, it means get out, get out, the water is coming, uh, it's roaring, the water is roaring and what's he talking about, you know, just in the middle of church, what's he doing? And then he was saying again and again, really insisted, then we got to know, okay, something not really right. So we went up uh, to the flat of the church. We looked up. And we can't find the difference because everything's underwater. There was a wall between the river and our church. So you have a sea and then a river coming in. Literally, this man was jumped from using tree and jumped in and helped to save us. So... And then we went out, and my mom told me, I was cycling to church, and my mom told me, uh, don't do silly things, come home uh, safely. So um, I cycled back, and I, I had to go this way, the bridge is over that way, because the river is coming this way, like this. So I was cycling, and I thought, there were a lot of people around, and I thought, okay, let's go and see what's there, what's happening. So I just parked my bike over there and uh, walked up, to the, um, to the river, uh, the, the bridge, and uh, I was in the top, and I looked, uh, everything was flowing towards the uh, sea, the trees, animals, and it's not really good looking water, it's not water at all, it was dark, horrible black stuff, and um, that roof, everything was flowing, and I thought, hmm, Maybe I can go down and help someone. Maybe someone needs hand to go and help someone. So I just walked down close to the river and sit down. And there was a man. He said, "Where are you going?" And literally everybody was uh, rushing to say, "The Lord, where are you going?" I said, "I'm going to help someone." No, no, just go, go back. I don't want to save you. You're gonna, you're gonna fall in there. It's really not. 
you know, easy as you think. Um, so I, I walked back. Uh, when I walked back, uh, all I seen was dead bodies, dead bodies, dead bodies, dead bodies, dead bodies. Oh, I think I've seen like 15, 40 of them each side like that, young, old, uh, not really good. It was a, uh, well, that moment changed me a lot. There was a lot of fight between me and uh, God and, you know, um, Lord. Uh, and then I wouldn't, I, I, I literally fail, felt like I'm failed. I don't know why. So I walked back and just took the cycle and I was thinking, I don't know, just walking back. Everybody was walking um, out of the town. And when we walk in, they're saying, oh, we can go to that hill. We may go to this hill. And then suddenly people are running towards us and saying, what is coming in again? Go, go, go. So we all are you know, running, running, running. So at that moment, you run for your life. You don't think about house and stuff, food or anything. Just, oh, we may go to that hill. We may go to that hill. So um, I thought maybe my, I don't know what my family is doing. So I went home. And in, in fact, it's about 100 meters just from our house to the water as well. So we're still... Uh, you know, uh, waiting a bit, but water didn't come. So the people were really uh, close to that village, um, the fisheries people. Um, they uh, suffered a lot, and many people uh, saved their life by holding the tree, and most people died because, you know, literally the bush and everything tangled them. They were wearing saris, you know, and the trees hit them, and boat hit them. So that was not yeah. a great experience. No. So you, 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 fair to say, it's probably the worst experience of your life that you were in. What was your reaction to, to, as a Christian in all that situation? Um, well, as I said, I was really angry, and I wanted to help, but I cannot help at that moment. And then uh, I... Uh, I, I asked a lot of questions to God, and you know, I was 19 or something, and very young. I, wanna, I don't want to see this, you know, I want to do something. And uh, the only thing I can do to these people that I can return to God. And I went to my vicar and I said to them, We have to do something for these people. And then I went around the house, collected some. Um, Clothes, gave them shelter in our house, some of them, some in our church schools, and we cooked food, I gave them food, and then um, I also volunteered for tsunami relief worker for youth and uh, many young kids and the old people, uh, counseling and also the uh, provisional and all sort of stuff. So it was really uh, great, and I, I still it's a golden days of my life and I'm, I'm thankful yeah. to God for that yeah but but an amazingly hard time it was to really see, see it really close. yes yeah. really hard Great. yes yeah Jancy yeah. thank you very much yeah. that's really helpful thank you thank you and the reason that I asked Jancy to come up was I think we can dismiss something like this and just think oh it's just another thing that happened but actually the truth is the flood was a serious serious event Um, And we're going to look at today's passage under three headings. Firstly, that actually the flood was God's judgment. But 
we see in the midst of this terrible story a rescue plan. The ark, the provision of the ark, actually was God's rescue. In the midst of this terror, God was there to rescue. And then thirdly and gloriously, we'll look at the covenant demonstrating God's promise. Now, there are many people who will say that the story of the ark has no historical basis at all. Um, and it's outside the scope of today's sermon to actually go into that and the arguments for it and all the rest of it. But suffice to say, there actually are a surprising, there is a surprising amount of historical evidence for the fact that there was a great flood. And indeed, there are a lot of uh, cultures around the world where they talk of this story having happened. Um, and if you really want to delve more into it, we have John Whittle, who's a geologist in our congregation, who I know has done a lot of work into this as well. But as I say, it's outside of the scope of today. So the firstly, point one, the flood was God's judgment. So just before the, the, the passage, 6 verse 3. My spirit will not contend with man forever. His days will be 120 years. So up to that point, man had lived for much, much longer. And God cuts down the number of years that man lives for. And then in 6 verse 5. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. And that every inclination of his thoughts and of his heart were only evil. A pretty terrible indictment on what had become of the pinnacle of the creation. And so we see almost a reversal of the attitude that we see at the beginning of Genesis. The Lord was grieved that he had made man. And his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind who I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals, for I am grieved that I have made them. Can you just imagine how, compared to the creation, man being the pinnacle of God's creation, and we suddenly have an about turn because of the absolutely terrible nature of the fall. God is regretting having created man. What a dreadful, dreadful thing for it to get to that. And he says the punishment is he will wipe mankind from the face of the earth. I'm going to put an end to all people in verse 13. I'm surely going to both destroy them and the earth. Now, there's something actually that's kind of missing from the translation here from the original Hebrew that actually comes across um, quite strongly when you look at the original Hebrew in this. And that's this concept of balance. Almost like uh, and, and Mark, Mark, who, who uh, prayed for us earlier, uh, will appreciate this as an accountant, um, where you've got the, the ledgers... Well, as, as, as you know full well, you have to have a credit and a debit, and things have to balance. They always have to balance. And the implication that's coming out of the wording here is that things have got seriously out of balance. The evil that was in the world was completely out of balance with the goodness of God. And the only way to address that was for the creation to be destroyed. That was the only way that balance was going to be restored. So in a sense, we have the opposite of creation here. We have decreation happening. Now, you might think this is a rather random picture here. This is Ricky Gervais, the comedian, and his dog. Um, now, Rick, Ricky Gervais is, is, um, is a well-known atheist. And he, um, he said recently uh, that uh, 
he, he would rather worship dogs rather than God. And the reason, and, and I like dogs, don't get me wrong. We've got one of our own, as, as, as you well know. In fact, she gives me a greeting every evening when I come in. I can, I can testify to this. My kids used to greet me years ago. They don't anymore. Uh, my wife only greets me now when I remember what songs we had at our wedding. Um, but uh, the dog greets me unfailingly every night. And, and, um, and what Ricky Gervais says is, he said, the thing about dogs is that they give you unconditional love and they don't send you to hell if you don't believe in them. Whereas God, in his view, does this. And this, sadly, shows the classic human misconception about God. Because it, it proceeds from the assumption that we're all fine. We haven't really done anything wrong at all. We don't deserve any kind of punishment or judgment. But it ignores the fact that God is perfect. And that things we do and say and think and so on are against his perfect nature. And so, by definition, judgment has to happen. And we see these sort of chilling, chilling words in verse 5 of chapter 6. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. And then 7 verse 23, the fulfilment of the curse. And there's actually, in Jesus' words, in, in, in Matthew, he harks back to this time. In Matthew 24. And he talks actually about the judgment that is to come as well. And directly links the judgment that happened at the time of Noah. But about that day or hour, he's talking about the future. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other one left. So we're faced with this. We know, we, we talk about judgment. And, and it's talked in the New Testament how it, how it is reality. And I suppose we then question ourselves, what, what do we do um, when we're, we're faced with an emergency? Um, I, I can think of one or two sort of... Uh, times where there's been an emergency in my life um, when uh, Anna suddenly went into labour with Oliver in the middle of the night and Anna's mother came down the motorway uh, only just about staying within the speed limit uh, to, come, to come down and take us to hospital. There was a time when we, we were looking after uh, the youngest daughter of a friend of ours and heard that she'd been rushed into hospital in the middle of the night and may not make it uh, and it was down in Plymouth and, and I had to drive down to Plymouth with, with the daughter and get there as quickly as possible. When you're in an emergency situation, you, you, you do everything you can. You flee. I, I, I was caught up in the, um, uh, on, on the tube network in 2005 in London when the terrorist attacks happened. And um, I knew somebody who was in the bus behind the one that got blown up. And their first reaction was to get off the bus and run all the way home. Um, when you're faced with an emergency, suddenly adrenaline kick, kicks in and, and it takes over. Jancy's talked about the reaction when the tsunami was coming. 
And we see the reaction here to the impending flood. Actually, only Noah, Noah is the only one who reacts when the impending judgment is happening. And I think the challenge to us today is how comfortable do we get with the full knowledge that actually there is going to be a future judgment? What do we do about it? How does it affect our daily lives? Because the truth is, if we do nothing about it, it probably says one of two things. One, it probably questions whether we actually really believe it. And I think often we, we get tempted into thinking that there isn't, this isn't going to happen at any point. Or, I think rather more challengingly, do we actually really care about people enough to think, well, this is going to happen? And, 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 and how, does that, how does that challenge us? But there is a stark message here in, these opening cha- in, in chapter 6 and 7 of the message of judgment. So we move on to this, uh, the, the second point. And I promise it's going to get better from here. Because talking about judgment all day is something, something that can get very depressing. But we have this message of the ark. The ark signifying God's rescue. And we have Noah. 6, 8 to 9. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Yet we say, hang on a moment. Righteous? Noah was righteous? But Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. How can we reconcile this? Why was Noah spared by God? Well, you can just see it under the picture of Noah. 7 verse 1. I have found you righteous in this generation. You see, compared to everyone else around, it was a pretty low standard. Noah was doing some things that were okay. Noah was not perfect. But for some reason, he, he was standing out as being more righteous. Because the truth is, Noah received grace. He didn't earn it. He didn't earn his position. Actually, it was God who selected him and chose Noah, and Noah received grace. And actually then, we see Noah's response in, verse, uh, in verses 22 of chapter 6. Noah did everything as God commanded him. And in 7 verse 5, Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And we see this evidence here, with Noah willingly obeying what God had asked him to do. And that, and that is the evidence of grace. Willing obedience to what the Lord would have us do. So, Noah goes and builds an ark. Now, um, we don't have in this country biblical theme parks. I don't think there's much of a market for them at all over here. But in America, they do. And somebody has actually built an ark somewhere in... Um, Somewhere in Arizona, I think it is. In fact, I was reading that they were expecting to have 1.2 to 1.4 million visitors a year to this ark. And they only had 800,000 last year. So the the park's struggling a bit. But there are lots of biblically inspired theme rides you can go to. You can actually go and see the ark. Now, the ark itself was quite a remarkable thing. Because when you consider that at the time, 
that most of the boats that were largely tiny fishing boats, and they did not build big seagoing vessels. This is long before the Vikings. Um, they didn't build these big vessels to go across, the, go across the sea. Everything stayed in the sight of the coastline generally. To build something this big would have been truly incredible. 450 feet long, which, you know, by super tanker sizes is not the greatest. But if I can put it in context, can you all take, come with me briefly to Leamington Spa? You know the top of Leamington Spa, the top of the parade, where you've got that funny park bit at the top with the tennis courts. Start there, and you walk down or from the traffic lights all the way down to the traffic lights where you've got the junction by Cafe Nero. That is the length of the arc that we're talking about here, 450 feet long. And it was 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, and for the engineers here, had a displacement of 43,000 imperial tonnes, uh, and, and was one and a half American football fields. I have no idea what that is, but um, it's quite big. So um, it, was, it was an incredibly, incredible sized thing that Noah was building here. And no rudder or sail either. This thing was not intended to navigate. It was just intended to float. That's all it was there to do. And who was to go on board? Or well, Noah and his family, his sons and their wives. And then seven of every clean animal and two of every unclean animal. Plus food. So they were all prepared for the journey. And the truth was... The ark was a necessary provision. Because with the earth being flooded as it then was with all the, all the water, actually, it was a very stark choice. If you were outside of the ark, you died. It's as simple as that. The only way to be saved from that judgment, from the waters that came on the earth, was to be inside the ark. And you see, to those who were there at the time, and indeed, you often see this in popular accounts of people were standing around mocking Noah for um, him having sort of spent a year building it. There's nothing in the Bible that talks about this, incidentally. Um, but it's, it's there generally in popular culture about this story. But actually, it would have taken a long time to build. And I'm sure there would have been a fair amount of incredulity as to what Noah was actually doing. And when there was no reason to build such a big thing, people, it would have seemed like foolishness. And actually, when we as Christians talk about God's rescue plan having come through a man 2,000 years ago who claimed to be God, who actually went to a death aged 33 on a cross uh, in an obscure town, you sort of thought, well, that does seem a little foolish as well. That's God's plan for the rescue of the whole of mankind? And yet, for those of us who know it, it is salvation. But to the world, it can seem like foolishness. And in the same way that the ark was there as God's rescue plan, the cross is for us as God's real rescue plan. This is, the, this is a, 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 an image from the, the film Noah that was out about five years ago. Um, if, if you want to understand something of the scale of it, then uh, I'd recommend watching the film. Uh, don't rely on it for any biblical accuracy at all, um, because it's fairly questionable on that at all. But it's interesting, um, last night at the, at the service I was talking to a lady who came along here, and, and uh, she said she was quite struck by the story of us as a church, um, and how she'd been praying for us in particular. And she said, as, as she was praying, she said, I had this picture of an ark floating on the sea. And I, and I said, well, that's remarkable. 
you do know I'm preaching on that today. And she went, I had no idea at all. I said, well, do tell me the story. And she said, well, it, it, I just sensed as a congregation, in a sense, you had almost come on the ark and you were there on the sea. And you were waiting for the dove to come uh, with, the, with, with the olive branch to let you know where you're going with all this. And I thought, well, that, that, was, quite, that was quite interesting. And in a sense, we as Christians are the ones on the ark, in the sense, but, but, but actually the door to the ark is not closed. And this is what we will go on to see. So the third point, actually the covenant demonstrates God's promise. Because this is not the end of the story. We see at the beginning of chapter 8, God sends a wind over the earth. Now the word wind here in the Hebrew is the same as that of spirit. And as we know at the start of chapter 1 verse 2 with the spirit hovering over the waters. This is the same spirit that God is sending over the earth. And the waters recede. God's intervention comes and the waters start to recede. And Noah opens a window and sends out a raven. Now, why does he send out a raven? Well, of course, a raven is a carrion bird. It looks for meat. It looks for... Uh, and it goes out and it comes back. There's, there's no indication of there being any land at all. So he then sends out a, a dove. And the dove eventually comes back with an olive branch, which shows that vegetation has appeared. And at that point onwards, they know... That land is coming back. Land is in sight, as it were. And God then says to Noah in 8, 15 and 16, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and, your, and son and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that's with you. The birds, the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground. So that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So we started with decreation. And we're now seeing the creation be born again. Be fruitful. Then the Lord, then, then 9 verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son saying, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. We see recreation starting to happen again. 9 verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. This constant repetition. A a part of the created ordinance be to go out and to fill the earth again. And just a word on this concept of covenant. Now, I'm probably reasonably qualified to talk about what covenants are. Uh, As as a property lawyer in my day job, I deal with these things quite a lot. What they are fundamentally are binding legal promises that actually are enforceable. They're enforceable promises. Uh, you often see them in documents. We don't, they don't quite look like that anymore. But um, no, they're, 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 they're the sort of strongest form of promise that you can give in a legal document. And we see this constant repetition now of God covenanting with man. Noah built an, an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. 
And God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you. After you and every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God gives that promise. Creation has been destroyed. God will allow it to thrive again. And then again, we have this sign of the covenant, the rainbow. The rainbow appearing in the clouds. So what is the significance here of this, the rainbow, the rainbow that we see? Well, actually, there is a very specific significance. Because if you look at the shape of a rainbow, actually, in in, in ancient culture, it signified a war bow. So actually what it was seen when it appeared in the sky as being a symbol of war, actually. And the significance of God specifically choosing the rainbow was to say that God is actually hanging up his bow. He's hanging up, effectively, the the weapon, as it were. He's suspending, actually, his, his, his judgment. And that is a sign of the promise that God will not destroy the earth again. And, that, and, and that's really significant in this story, in the covenant. So we have the progression here. We have Noah and the family and the animals emerging out of the ark, being told to go out and multiply and, f- and, fill, and s- fill the earth. We have the promise and we have the rainbow. We have all that coming together as the creation is restored. And we hear, see here a God that is committed to mercy. You see, God is totally within his rights to have destroyed everything. The whole creation created order. But through a demonstration of grace, he decides to keep a part of that creation, preserve it within the rescue of the ark, to demonstrate that he is committed to mercy. And in the same way, we know as Christians through the gospel that actually the world, we all deserve nothing but judgment for all we've done and said and everything else. And yet, and yet, he sends his son to us. He sends his one and only son to die on the cross for each one of us and to resurrect from death, to defeat death, to defeat Satan. So that the promise is there for us that if all we do is trust in him, then we can enjoy the new creation with him. It's a very, very simple thing, but one that is so misunderstood by our world. But we have a loving God that is committed to mercy. Because God judged the world. He judged the world with Noah and he will do so again. As it's shown in Matthew 24. And yet, he provides a way of rescuing us. We see it in Noah, we see it with the ark. And we see it now through the cross. And he spares us. Not because we're righteous. No, no, there's nothing we can do at all. Nothing on on our own efforts we can do in any way. But rather, through us, 
accepting the gift of grace. And if we accept this truth, he promises a glorious world to come. You see, so often I think it's, it, it's um, Christians could fall into the thing of just talking sometimes about judgment and, and, and talking this, this very, very negative message. And in many ways it, it is a negative message, but it's a right message. But equally I think we can, we can leave out actually the fact that we have a God of mercy, a God who's come up with a rescue plan, a God who loves us so much that he was willing to send his own son for each one of us. A God who really likes us. But in his divine goodness, he can't can't do it without us coming through the cross. And he wants to rescue us. Keith mentioned earlier um, about one or two conversations that I I had last night. And I had one very encouraging conversation with somebody. It's a guy who turned up here who had not planned to be here at all. Um, he just turned up at our door last night. And um, we, we said, well, why don't you stay with us for a bit and, and uh, enjoy the service and have some food with us afterwards and so on. Um, and, and he said to me afterwards, he said, um, he said I, I come from a Catholic background. And in the kind of church that I've grown up in, there's, this, there's been a sternness, there's been a judge, just sort of judgmentalism to the whole thing. And, and I feel a very negative experience of church. That's always been my experience of church. He said, but tonight, I found a real joy amongst your people. He said, here, you've got people, here, here are people here who have something that they're living for. And he detected that amongst us last night. So those of you who were there last night, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Because as Marco spoke last night, for some strange reason, God decides to use us as his representatives on earth. And you look at the early Christians and you look at the love that they had for one another. And that is such a powerful demonstration of the fact that God really cares for people. And that man went away last night. I don't know if he'll ever come back again. But he went away with a positive experience of what it's like to be amongst God's people last night. And I think that's a challenge to all of us. Is that we know that there is a hard message of judgment and everything else. But we have a wonderful God that loves us. And we have such a wonderful story of the gospel of Jesus Christ to tell people about this wonderful rescue plan. When we see the rainbow, the reminder of the fact that God promised that for each one of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your, for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is consistent that you are the same throughout all of time, that you are a God of perfect justice, and we are fallen, fallen human beings. And we are so sorry for the fact that we fall short of your standards day in, day out, and all the things that we do wrong. But we are so grateful for the fact that you are also a God of mercy. That you are a God who cares so deeply for each one of us. That all all you ask is that we trust in the wonderful message of your gospel. We just accept that truth in our lives. And if we accept it, then uh, you will redeem us through the blood of your son. That wonderful message of grace. And we pray, Lord, that I pray, Lord, tonight, if there's anybody here who's never really accepted that truth for them, that they would have the courage to come forward and say, 
yes, I want to accept that promise tonight. But for those of us who know that truth, make us bold as we go out. Give us love. Give us compassion for those who we know who don't know this truth. And let us, let, let, let us be a light with the wonderful truth of the gospel. The fact that it's a wonderful message of rescue. Amen.